0: Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day, like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Uh, we've been in a series for a little while here at Emmanuel in the Book of Galatians. I'll give you a little a little blurb to try to help you get up to speed with us. Um, The book of Galatians is actually a letter that was written to the churches in Galatia. It was written by Paul, one of the apostles, and he was really writing. It's, it's kind of a letter of correction. He wrote a lot of letters to churches that he had planted. He would plant a church, and then he would move on to plant another church. And and the leadership that he raised up in that church, he would send them letters when he heard of things that maybe were a little off track that he needed to correct, or maybe they just needed a little bit of encouragement, and he would write them a letter of encouragement. This book of Galatians is really a letter of correction. So the what had happened and we've talked about this over the last few weeks is these new Christians, they sort of got a little off track. They were being misguided by some some older Christians who were were more firm in their faith in one sense, except that they were carrying over these Jewish traditions into Christianity and it was causing a lot of problems. So Paul was writing this letter of of correction. So over the past few weeks we've talked about a few things, but two of the main things that we've talked about is the idea that we kind of have these two trees. We have this this life-giving tree, and we also have this knowledge of good and evil tree, and we traced it back to the original story in Genesis. And we talked about how we have this life-giving tree that where there's all kinds of freedom and when we have the right gospel, when we put our trust in Jesus, that we can live in the freedom of that and we live in this life-giving tree. But we also talked about this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the wrong gospel that Paul talks about in Galatians where we kind of get bound by rules and religion and we think that if we just check off all of these things then that qualifies. And what happens there is there's a lot of judgment and there's a lot of Hurt, And there's a lot of guilt. And what we're trying to say, what Paul is trying to say in Galatians is, I don't want you to live in this tree. I don't want you to live in this false gospel. I want you to live in the true gospel. I want you to live a life of freedom. I want you to live in this tree of life. And so we find ourselves today um, in Galatians chapter 3. Now last week we talked about the idea that sometimes we have to put some things to death in us. You know, there are things in us that prohibit us and stop us from being able to live that life-giving, be in that life-giving tree. And so we talked about the idea of living a crucified life where we have to put some of those things aside. And we, so we hit Galatians chapter 3, and Paul's just like, time out. We are going to stop this discussion altogether. And I want to make sure... I want to make sure that you understand what the gospel is. So it's like a full stop. We need to straighten this out right now. I want you to understand what the gospel is. So Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to to do a chunk of Galatians chapter 3 today, but we're going to go and do various verses. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, pull it out now. The the, uh, scripture will also be on the screen for you to follow along with us as well. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Paul says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Now, evil spell is kind of an interesting translation here. I'm not sure it's the most helpful or the best translation necessarily. I, I, want, us to, I want to try to help you think about it as, well, my kids would call it the stink eye. <laughs> So I never really had to yell at my children. I never yelled at my children, but I had a look. <laughs> and if I gave them the look, they knew there was a problem. So either I was not happy with them or they needed to change their behavior immediately or they just, you know, they just got on my wrong side. <laughs> And so they called it the stink eye. I get it. So maybe some of you have a stink eye that you've used on your children. Uh, maybe some of you maybe called it the evil eye. I don't know. But what Paul is kind of talking about here is he's saying that these these Jewish Christians that came in behind with all the rules and regulations that they're trying to impo- impose on you, that maybe maybe they were kind of you know giving them the look, you know the look like the disapproval look. Like, you just really don't have it all together, you know, that look. And because they were kind of disapproving, they were sort of giving them that evil eye, sort of giving them the stink eye all the time, they, they were kind of turning their noses up at them because they weren't doing it the right way. Of course, the right way was you know, these Jewish Christians, it was their way, but they weren't quite doing it the right way. And Paul says that he, he wants to tell them what they need to do, what they need to replace this evil spell, this evil eye thing with. And he says, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death, he says, look, what you guys obviously do not understand is the meaning of of the death of Jesus. What the death of Jesus is really all about. You've lost that meaning. And that's what today's message is really about, is about regaining that meaning for us. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? So he's saying, did your life get changed by trying to obey these Old Testament laws? Did you see transformation in your life? And everyone was going, no, no, no. And so he goes on to the next verse and he says, of course not. You received the Spirit, so, so you were changed on the inside. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Which is what I want to explain to you today. I want to explain to you the message of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you maybe have gone to church your whole life, and all of a sudden you're like, Tammy, you're going to explain the message of Jesus Christ. I know the message of Jesus. Please don't tune me out. It would be easy. But please don't tune me out. Because I think we need to even as Christians who have heard this story many times, maybe many of you have, I think it's important for us to revisit it. And it's important for us to, to be, be talking about what God has done for us over and over and over again to have that re- reminder and have it renewed in us. So if you've heard about Jesus your whole life, I, I want to encourage you to just hang in there with us today. Because I really believe that there are Christians who have been in the church their whole life and still don't understand this. They still haven't experienced it. Paul says, how foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect? And here's the opposite of the true Christian life, by your own human effort. And that's why those people who kind of give you, you know, the evil eye, the stink eye, kind of turn their nose up at you because you're not quite doing it right. See, what it, they think that their human effort is better than yours. That's what they think. And so they judge you. And basically, it intimidates you into thinking that, well, whatever they do must be the right thing to do, so I'll just do that, even if it doesn't feel right. So I I really want to pause today, just like Paul paused, and I want to make sure that every one of you, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, that every one of you understands the gospel. Because I really think we need to hear it new and fresh, and maybe it's new to you today altogether. But we need to be reminded And that is, we we pretty much ended up in a bad condition. Because we committed sin. We sinned against God. And honestly, it didn't take a whole bunch of sins for you or for I to be a sinner. It actually just took one. Just one. And you really only have to commit one sin to be a sinner. Just like you only have to commit one murder to be a murderer. Only one sin. And the Bible says that everyone has sin. Every one of us. And because of that, every one of us, and it's described in Romans 3.23, because of that sin, it causes us to fall short of God's glory. So let me put it another way. Because of sin, we can't actually be in God's presence because God and sin can't be in the same room together. Can't happen. Well, here's the problem God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He created you because He wants to be with you so that He could enjoy your company. He wants to be. In relationship with you. He didn't create you to be a servant. He created you to be in relationship with him. He doesn't even really want to be your God. He wants to be your father. The problem is, we have sin. So the next question is, how do you get rid of that sin? Because I want to be with God, right? We want to be with God. And really the goal of all religions is is to somehow deal with the thing that separates us from God. So that we can get to God and be with him. And and this is where it it gets really different. And this is where Christianity sort of stands out from all other religions. And that is the, the wage or the penalty, or the way I like to talk about it is the bill that has to be paid For even one sin is death, the Bible tells us. Well, it's kind of a catch-22, because if I die to get to God, to get rid of my sin, I can't get to God because I'm dead. So it's a bit of a problem. So we have this dilemma going on. And realizing in order to get to God... To get rid of your sin, that you have to pay for your sin, I didn't want that. So God sent His own Son to set, step into the courtroom of our life, where we've already been sentenced, but he steps in. And Jesus says, "I'll pay it. I'll pay the bill." And it's just about the best news that you could ever hear in your entire life. In fact, you should all be standing up screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering and like excited. Yeah, exactly. It is the best news you could ever hear in your entire life. That your bill has been paid. My bill has been paid. Have you ever had that experience, by the way? Uh, where you, like, somebody pays your bill. Peter and I were at this really nice sushi restaurant one one day. I picked him up from work, and we go to the nice sushi restaurants, and we don't have the kids with us. Because, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we ran into a few people that he had done work with before, and we said hello, and they left, and we went and had our meal. And when, when the server came, we, said, we asked for our bill, and he was like, actually, somebody paid for it. And you're like, yes! (laughs) Right? Like, maybe we should have brought the kids this time. (laughs) But there's something about when somebody pays your bill that actually really just doesn't feel right. You know, you're excited and you're thankful, but it just doesn't feel right because they didn't eat the food. I ate the food. And there's something, there's just really something about that Jesus paying our bill that just doesn't feel right because he didn't sin I sinned you sinned and he steps into our lives and he says I'll pay I will I will pay the bill Have you ever had anyone say to you that you know if God is so kind and gracious and good, why does he send people to hell? I've had people ask me that question before. And I like to say that hell is not a place that God sends people that he's mad at. I like to say it's a place where you can pay for your own sins if you'd like to. You don't have to. Because it's already been paid for you. It's already been paid for you. Do you understand that? So then it becomes ridiculous for us to rely on what we can do to try to, to, to please God, to earn God's favor. Paul says in verse 10, he says, all who rely on observing the law or, t- or trying to do what's right, and this is huge, is under a curse. So that's not God cursing you, God's not saying Oh, I'm gonna curse you if you follow the law. No, it, it's you really cursing yourself. You know why? Look at the next line. For it is written, cursed is everyone who can't keep doing it. You know, if, if you can't fulfill all of them, all of the laws, all of the rules, then you're cursed because it only takes one only takes one broken one. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, which is completely impossible. In fact, James says it this way. He says, For whoever keeps the law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So what do we learn from this? So if you're a note taker, if you like to take notes during sermons, I want to encourage you to get your pen and your paper ready because I want to make sure you get this. This is important for all of us to know and remember. Sometimes you you need to be able to explain your faith to someone. You need to be able to explain to someone what Christianity really is. And if you are here today and you don't know what Christianity is, I'm super excited that you're here today because you get to really hear. Here's the first thing that you need to know. The law couldn't be obeyed. And it still can't be obeyed. And since doing good things, well, let me put it, like, not just in 10 commandment law kind of thing. Let me put it in, in, in today. Let's place it into today. So that means... If you pray a lot, or you read your Bible a lot, or you go to church a lot, or you serve a lot, or you give a lot, or you try to do good things for people a lot, you can't do it enough. You can't. None of those things cures sin. So the law couldn't be obeyed, therefore the law could not cure you. It can't change our sin nature. So I think people often generally sort of believe that if I do something wrong, if I do enough right things, I get, we can, you know, we can make up for it. Actually, I think most people probably believe in what I've heard described as a 51% heaven. <laughs> so basically the theory is, the goal is to do enough good things that it outweighs the bad things that we do. Right? Does this sound familiar? You know, we're trying to outweigh the bad things that we do so that when we get to heaven, at least we can say we did more good than we did bad, and you know, so that, that should work out for us. But it's not possible. Because it only takes one. It only takes one to miss the whole thing. So Paul asks this question in the next verse. He says, What then was the purpose of the law? So if the law can't cure they can't cure you, and the law can't actually be obeyed, and no one's going to be able to do it anyway, then, then why did God even give it? Well, I think it's a really good question. I, I'm hoping some of you are already asking that question in your mind. Why even give it? So why is there even an Old Testament? Why do we even need it? If he knew we weren't going to be able to do it, why did he give it to us? And the answer is, he wanted to create a frustration that you can't do it yourself so that you would go looking someplace else. You would go looking for the one who could. He says in verse 24, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified, not by what we did, but by faith, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. In other words, it doesn't tell us what to do. Something changed in us. Something changes on the inside. So if you're writing notes, write this one down. The law leads us to Christ. The law leads us to Christ. So today this message is for anybody who has been out there trying to please but God by, you know, going to church enough and going to youth group enough and reading their Bible enough and praying enough. And, and you've been trying to do all those things and you realize it's actually not even changing anything in you. And you actually really don't even want to do it. You're just trying to check it off. But what happened? I think you're doing it wrong. It's not that any of those things are bad. All of those things are good and important and we want to do them. But not if you're going the wrong way. You weren't supposed to just do all of these things. You're supposed to start by going to Jesus himself. You have to go to Jesus himself. And here's the most incredible thing about it. If you don't remember anything else, remember what I'm saying right now. When you go the right way, when you go to Jesus himself, a miracle happens. It changes you. You would think that all of that effort would, would do something. And if you could just check enough check, you know, hit enough boxes, it would do something. And you could train yourself into godliness. But like you can't. But when you receive what Jesus did, when you, when you go instead of just going to the rules, but you go to the person of Jesus, a miracle happens in your life. You're changed. One verse says, If any man is in Christ, he goes to the person of Jesus himself. He becomes a new creature. It's a miracle. The old things are gone and the new has come. Which means Christianity is not actually a learned behavior, it's a transformation on the inside. And it's a miracle. It's miraculous. And that's why, the same, this, that's why it says in, in Galatians chapter 3, it says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right. Christianity doesn't ask you to just do right. That's a byproduct. It wants you to be made right. Right made right in relationship with Jesus. It wants there to be a transformation in your life. Until so we could be made right with God through faith. That's why it's critical for you to understand Christianity and what grace is really all about. The act of Jesus is grace. It is grace. And when you really understand it, when you really receive it, when you really acknowledge it for what it is, a miracle takes place. And that's why I'm desperate for you not to just know it, but for you to experience it. Because it changes us. If you come here every Sunday and expect that we can train you into good behavior, you're going to hate coming here. You're going to wish there were like 10 days between Sunday and Sunday instead of 6, because it'll be a constant, constant, constant finger-pointing, you did this wrong, you didn't do this right, you need to fix this, you need to change this, you, you, you. That's not the gospel. And it certainly isn't the grace of God. I need you to experience grace. I need you to experience Jesus. And when you do, you're, you're, you're going to go, oh my goodness, something just changed in me. And you're just going to want to do all those things. You're going to want to read your Bible, because you're going to want to know more about Him. You're going to want to pray, because you're going to want to foster that relationship with Him. Grace is a free gift. It is a gift, which means you cannot earn it. Jesus didn't come for you to earn anything. He gave you a free gift. He didn't come just to give you a gift and say, oh, no, no, that's okay, you're off the hook, you can go do whatever you want. That's not the way it works. Remember, there are consequences to our actions. Sin has to be paid for. We established that at the very beginning. And so his gift was his life. That was his gift. And sometimes I think that we we say that so much, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We say it so much that we forget the horror of that moment. Not only for Jesus, but for God the Father. Can you imagine how your life would be marked if one day you were walking down the sidewalk you're just walking along minding your own business like thinking about something else and you went across the street and you just stepped out onto the road you know to cross the street not aware that there was a car barreling down the street at a hundred kilometers an hour but somebody saw you and they jumped out in front of you and pushed you out of the way and they were slammed by that car and they died in front of you? Can you imagine how your life would be marked? You would be changed forever. You would think about that person every single day. You would think about their sacrifice to save you. And you would live your life differently because they had. You wouldn't waste it. You'd never be the same. And I want you to know that Jesus stepped in for you. He stepped in for you. Some of you maybe have heard this story before. I've probably told it before. But when my son Wesley was one year old, uh, my oldest daughter and I, Taylor, we were making cupcakes for Valentine's Day. And we were just kind of in the kitchen making our cupcakes. And at the time, we were living with Peter's mom. And in her kitchen, she had a gas oven, gas stove. And the bottom of that gas stove was a broiler. You remember these old, like the broiler was down in the bottom? It, you know where you pull out your the drawer and the pans sometimes are? Well, that was a broiler down there. So Taylor and I were kind of mixing up our cupcakes, and Wesley was kind of crawling around. I actually thought he was in the living room. Next thing I know, I hear this screaming child. And he had grabbed a hold of the door of the broiler to pull himself up and as he pulled himself up the door opened and to catch himself he put his hand down on the inside of the door and he burned the whole his entire hand was burned and I remember this screaming, screaming child just looking at me for help. And I remember driving in the car and looking in the rear view mirror at this screaming child just looking at me for help. Like, mom, can mom, can you do something? Help me. And I remember sitting in the waiting room of the doctor's office with a screaming, crying one-year-old child sitting on my knee looking at me, crying and screaming for help. And I remember sitting with him in the doctor's office while they treated his hand and they wrapped it up and he cried and he cried and he screamed and he cried. And I just remember, I just remember him looking at me for help because I'm his mom and I'm supposed to help him. Imagine what it must have felt like for God when his son, hanging on a cross, dying, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. I would have done anything, anything, to take that away for him. I would have jumped in his place Instantly, but I couldn't, and I can imagine that everything inside of God was like, I- I've I got to go get my son. But then he thought about me, he thought about you, and he stepped back and he let it happen. When you really realize the grace of God, what God has done for you, it changes you. It changes you. You've been given not just a gift, you've been given a life. And how are you going to live that life? Maybe you're sitting here today and you know you've been following Jesus your whole life but, but we can fall into those the rules and the checklist and and we can forget to nurture that relationship. I want to say to you today that you can experience God's grace new and fresh today in this moment today you can take a new step in your relationship with Jesus today you can embrace the freedom that comes from grace and you can choose today to live your life differently to reflect the gift that has been given to you you can do that I've said it before, every day is a do-over day. And if you're sitting here today and you have never taken a step to follow Jesus, today is your day. It's a free gift that is offered to you. Jesus wants to step in and pay your bill. He's done it already. You just have to receive it. And when you truly understand what God has done for us, it changes you. It changes you so that you live your life differently. It changes you to feel an urgency to reach out to other people, to love them and to care for them, to share the joy that God has given to you with them. God has given you a gift. You can you can pass it on. My prayer for you as leading up to this day has been that you would experience God's grace in a new and fresh way today. That He would touch your life today. That your life would be changed today in some way. Because God, through His Spirit, steps into your life today and changes you. It's my prayer for you today. And as we come to the table today, we have an opportunity. We're going to celebrate what God has done for us. And and He calls us to come back again and again and again to do this, to celebrate together, to remind us. We need a reminder. Today is our reminder day. I don't want it to pass by as just another communion Sunday for us. I want us to be changed again and again and again because we remember and we realize what God has done for us. So today, maybe you need to recommit to God. Maybe you need to just—you lay it out on the line and say, God, I, I know I need, I need a do-over day. And maybe today you need to make that commitment to him for the first time. I just encourage you to do that. Just welcome him into your life. Acknowledge him for who he is. Receive his forgiveness for your sins. And watch what he does to change your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that every person in this room listening to my voice experiences your gift. God, let them realize how you sent your son to die so that we would never have to experience that death ourselves. That alone, you can change us. God, give people courage today to to step across the line of faith and receive your grace. God, let every person in here, regardless of what they struggle with, what they're going through. God, let them realize it's available to them. God, change us. I thank you for sending Jesus, and thank you for your grace that extends from our yesterdays and our tomorrows. And let everyone here just experience that grace today. And the strong... Mighty, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.